2: welcome back to part two of this exciting conversation we're having with harry cooper of the shark hunters concerning hitler's escape and now in part two we're gonna cover hitler's exile now We got your take on uh, how it all went down, Harry. And because much of what you contribute with is personal stories, reminiscence, you know, talks with people who actually lived there, who actually experienced stuff, we've been going a little back and forth. But I take notes here of many things you mentioned about the post-war period. So I have many questions to you about that. But before we do that... I promised one of our listeners to pitch you some of his questions. All right. Because we have one member of Shark Hunters here. And in fact, he has, oh, he has four questions. (laughs) But they're interesting. Uh, He says, i read your book, Hitler in Argentina, and I believe you, Mr. Cooper. But my twist is that it was never Hitler. I think it was Bormann posing as Hitler. Could that be a possibility? Think about it he's He's the man nobody notices. He lived in Hitler's shadow for years, and if I was Bowman, I would want to do the same still, never be the prime subject. I think maybe he's he's referring to something in your book, Hitler in Argentina. maybe he's referring to that Bowman got away, but not Hitler but we have have your take on that already, but you want to comment up on that question
0: yeah they they both did get away, not the same way, not the same time, according to Don Angel Cazar de Velasco. Uh, he helped Borman escape on a submarine, and uh, they, uh, according to Don Angel, they were going to take the submarine back from where they put the men ashore in a little town called Puerto Coig, way down at the southern end, almost to the uh, Tierra del Fuego, and they were going to take the boat back about halfway from there to Buenos Aires and scuttle it. Mm. And we have found evidence of a scuttled, actually two scuttled U- U-boats in this Caleta de los Loros, mm. so far nobody's gone to find them. We've got aerial photos looking through the water. There's something down there, but uh, I mean, this mm. this is a, a so far remote. You'd have to come in with four wheel drive stuff and all your equipment, all your diving equipment, boats and everything. It just you'd have to have a ton of money.
2: Yeah, one interesting thing you said that Bormann did not escape together with Hitler. Right. So what is your scenario for his? flight.
0: Well, according to Don Angel, uh, they went out in a submarine. Uh, Don Angel's very clear about that. He helped Borman learn Argentine Spanish, which is quite different from regular Spanish. And according to Don Angel, they went down on a submarine that put them ashore in that little town called Puerto Coig, way South Patagonia, almost to the Tierra del Fuego. Mm. And, uh, but Hitler had already been in Argentina by that time. He, he had flown out in the plane. Hitler was not a Navy man. They had the big state yacht called the Aviso Guerrilla. And uh, it was a big yacht about the size of a cruiser. And even that, Hitler got seasick on that thing. So uh, the thought of him taking off in a submarine, U-530 Commander Otto Wehrmuth, when they had this long-range airplane available, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Mm. I knew Wehrmuth. He was a member of Shark Hunter. Some of our members, heavy-heavy researchers, were in his home and talked to him. There was no such thing as sealed orders. He was never intended to go to South America. He was operating on a combat patrol off New York. Then the war ended, so they decided they were going to go to Chile because one of the guys on board the boat had relatives in Chile, so they were headed for Chile, and then they got into heavy seas, used up too much diesel fuel, and had enough to get to Mar del Plata. And they were mm. there uh, two months after the war ended, and then U-977 came in after them eight days more. So there, there's something with these two boats, but there's there's nothing to do with Hitler's U-boat going anywhere, because Hitler wasn't on any U-boat. The man got seasick looking at a picture of, a, of an ocean. So he did not go on a submarine. No, how he mm. And we know he did not go on U-530, because, the, uh, the, like I say, the skipper was a member of shark hunters and, and whenever I'd, <laughs> I'd write him and I'd ask him about, uh, I asked him one time about a meeting he had with a Japanese submarine to transfer goods and, uh, and gold which they gave to the Japanese for payment. I asked him about that, that was in 1944 and he sent the letter back and he started out by saying at no time in his last trip to Argentina did he carry passengers or goods and I never even asked him about that You know, that's like saying, hey, Al, what's the weather like in your country right now? And you start off by saying, well, I want it to be known. I'm not the guy that uh, shot John F. Kennedy or something (laughs) totally unrelated. So, you know, and he referred to that last trip as Einreise rather than Einfeinfacht. Einfeinfacht is a war patrol. Einreise is when you take your family to Disney World. Hmm. So... I I don't know how people thought that Hitler and Bormann escaped together on a submarine. That just just didn't happen.
2: But still, Bormann was the guy behind uh,
0: getting Hitler out, right? Yeah, Bormann was behind everything. He pulled all the strings.
2: Mm. And then he was the last to go himself.
0: Well, towards the last...
2: But he took the uh, submarine, so the route was then from, was it down
0: to Spain? Most of the boats and ships and everything that took people out on what, what the Allies called the Rat Line came out of Villa Garcia, which is a fishing community up the river from Vigo. And now you'll remember in the movie Das Boat, the submarine came into one of the Spanish harbors, I guess it was Vigo, and they came alongside a, a German supply ship that was just stuck in a harbor, you know, and and that was true. Germany had supply ships like this in the Spanish harbors. Mm. And Vigo was one of their more prominent harbors. So, and Villa Garcia is where Bormann and Don Angel left from. That's all in the book, his own personal
2: story. Right. So, So this is also how you know, because you have members down in Argentina who could tell you firsthand...
0: Not only in Argentina, Al, but in Germany. Heavy, heavy researchers who know the old U-boat guys and are the are the children of U-boat veterans. Right. And they know where all the files are, and uh, they yeah. know people who are still active today in uh, what's called die Spinner. You know German, you know what is die spinner. Spinner? Yeah.
2: Uh, something which goes around. The spider. Oh, the spider. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sometimes called... Odessa.
2: Yeah, yeah, Odessa. Uh, the spider, I'm thinking James Bond. <laughs>
0: that's better than James Bond, because that's real.
2: I know, but they, they took it from there, you know.
0: Right. They, uh,
2: so, uh, and actually, this year, I think, is coming out a James Bond movie portraying uh, the spider.
0: I think so. I think that's the new one with Daniel Craig. He said he would never make another Bond movie, and then they told him $50 million, and he said, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, the, the same. the The real James Bond, who was uh, Sean Connery, he yeah. One point, he said he was never going to do Bond again. So they weighed a lot of money under his nose, and uh, so then he decided, okay. And they made the movie Never Say Never, Never Say Never Again, Again, or something. Yeah. like
2: that. <laughs> So you think they gave it the title just as a little uh, inside joke?
0: Well, that's <laughs> that's what I read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't care how much you say. I'm not going to make that movie again. When they wave that big checkbook in front of your face, okay, I'll I'll play the I'll play the hero again. Yeah. Hell, I'd have done it for half that money.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a thing in the world money can buy, huh?
0: I'm afraid that's probably the truth. You know, uh, they say every man has his price, but
2: uh... yeah, there's, I think there's a few exceptions. <laughs> uh, we all know about Ron Paul. I don't think you could buy that man.
0: I think you're right, Ron Paul. Um, I think he was a, a pretty sharp guy, but he was so beat up by the by the media. Yeah, my daughter was in her undergraduate school at the time, and she said a lot of the young people really liked Ron Paul, but.
2: Mm that ain't enough mm. okay the second question is for the Himmel project Die Glocke Bormann hired Richter gave him a chance on the island Himmel and when the world press demanded answers Bormann just called him nuts uh, pull the project order him to act not so the project will lose all credibility and then move it later to another base in Antarctica or South America uh, yeah he just wants to know your take on it
0: actually uh, Richter did not work for Bormann Richter worked for professor Kurt Tank the guy who designed the Fokker Wolf FW190 Tank went down with 50 aeronautical engineers and uh, Ed Richter was part of that group and he rebuilt fighter planes and, and planes for the South American air forces. And Richter was working for him trying to devise a way to uh, power a plane by nuclear energy. When when that fizzled, Richter, maybe maybe with Borman's uh, uh, blessing or whatever, Richter was sent to uh, uh, Hoymel in 1947. Mm. But in 45, 46, he was working for Kurt Tank up in uh, Cordoba. Yeah, but I think what he get, he's getting at
2: here is that uh, Bowman was the one pulling the strings, especially when you think about the network, the post-war network, and because he's referring to something that did happen, namely that at one point, Mr., um, uh, oh, what's his name again, the leader of Argentina, uh, Perón. Peron was boasting about, oh, we got our own nuclear project, blah blah blah. Long before it was ready to do anything, this cold fusion thing, right? And then, when the world's attention were shifted to, to Peron, something weird happened, namely that Richter started to behave erratic uh, and and not in a clever way, no, but in a such a primitive way that. You know either he completely lost his mind or he was he was behaving this way intentionally and then, then the speculation is why on behalf who told him to do this because the project lost all credibility that's what he's getting at
0: here okay that's a very very good point because that's exactly true he uh, peron from what we have learned, Borman wanted this cold fusion to be kept quiet but peron wanted to make the big whoop de doo about Argentina is the first South American nuclear power and made all that big noise, 1951, I think it was, Hmm. Uh, and Borman was was livid about this, and so... It was so risky, they could have discovered everything. Yeah, exactly. So, somebody made a big fuss, they wanted some physics superstar doctor from Buenos Aires to go out there and conduct tests and allegedly Richter was acting a little nuts and also had a lot of his equipment disconnected so mm. of course the, the the test would fail mm. and it was set up to fail so that the spotlight would get off of them According to what we have found so far, so that's a very good question. Mm.
2: And also, he mentioned uh, something that I've, I've been wanting to ask you about. Uh, he says Bormann was totally misleading. USSR, Mossad, and CIA. Now, USSR uh, obviously needed Hitler to be dead, uh, but but CIA, I think, knew about it and protected. It. But Mossad, let's get to that now. They take out Eichmann, they take out Barbie, but those are small. Peanuts, compared to Hitler. Why didn't they take out Hitler?
0: They didn't take out Barbie. Barbie was handed over to him, because Barbie had been working for the CIA, and his handler, we found out many, many years ago, was Pierre Salinger, who was Kennedy's press secretary. Eichmann, Eichmann was a pauper. He had, he and his sons built their own house. It was about the size of a two-car garage. Mm -hmm. And they built it. On uh, Garibaldi Street, I was there, the house is gone, and that piece of property is all fenced off to where you can't go on board it to uh, pick up souvenirs. And, uh, uh, but he was not one of the wealthy ones. He did not have the power of the spider behind him. He uh, had three different jobs over his time in Argentina. His last job for many years, he was a common laborer, at Mercedes-Benz factory, which was way outside the city. He had to ride three hours each way on a bus to work. And, and on the weekend, he sold fruit juices at the, uh, at the marina in town. So he didn't have the protection. And so for six Mossad guys who had the element of surprise on their side, it was it was no big deal. They grabbed mm. this tired old man after three hours of riding the bus out, Working eight hours at a factory, riding the bus three hours back home. This tired old man gets off the bus. He was a he was an older guy, beat, mm. tired. So six young men jumped on him, grabbed him, and took him away. Okay, how hard is that to do? Mm. Not hard at all. However, how hard is it to grab Hitler? That mm. Orman is financing Peron. Mm. How hard is it to grab? somebody like Hitler or Bormann or any of the other big guys that are being their their safety is being paid for to Peron. The only way and and I've looked at this six ways from Sunday, the only way they could have got Hitler was to mount a full scale military invasion mm. of Argentina because Peron wasn't going to give him up. No. Peron had billions of dollars coming in because of these guys, and he was not going to give up any of them, because he was making all this money.
2: Mm. Uh, Do you think that there's a possibility too that there was some leverage over Israel, maybe I don't know, CAA or someone? uh, uh, Because we know that the paperclip, uh, the Galen, we know that very many uh, Germans were integrated into the American system, so there may have been also pressure from America to to keep uh, hands off uh, Hitler. And LeVenda said that he talked to a Mossad agent who said that after uh, Barbie, who was the last one, yeah. they got orders in Mossad to drop the whole Nazi thing. No more. No more, uh, and and that was due to a lot of things: economics, uh, public relations, blah 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 blah. Right. And it was so long, and now they were, uh, you know, concerned with Palestinians and all that. So, so I'm thinking then, you know, if they if they only get these small peasants to use chess language here, <laughs> it would be too costly to go after the king, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. And uh, as you say, there might have been pressure on Israel. I don't know. Yeah, there probably was pressure, I'm guessing, from uh, the U.S., from the CIA, NSA, or any one of the alphabet soups. But look at at it this way, Al. Right now, the cash register is constantly ringing in Israel about those terrible old Nazis. Hmm. What if they'd have grabbed Hitler in 19, let's pick a number, 1950, 1960, and they execute him? Good point. Yes, because, yes, because
2: uh, for better or worse, they have the historic role as victims.
1: Yeah,
2: And uh, the perpetrators were never put to account. So if they did that, in a way, that would kind of balance... Uh, of course, it won't balance the books. I mean, a, per- a murder person is a murder person, but you know what I mean. I, I, as a political game, and with all respect for, for the victims of the Second World War... Uh, for the political game the people who abuses these things in politics it wouldn't be that good of an argument anymore, especially not when you see that Israel is so tied up in their own problems uh, with the Palestinian
0: well yeah, nowadays sure but uh, we're talking like 1950 1960, if they had caught him, brought him back, hanged him the, the boogeyman is gone. How are you going to be shaking your can there and saying, put money in here, put money in here when when the uh, alleged threat, um, of course, he wasn't a threat at that point in time. He was just a broken old man. But, mm. uh, you know, you got this boogeyman out there. you got to keep asking for money. Mm. And if the boogeyman is caught and hanged, OK, what do you got? You got nothing left. Mm. Yes, I thought. Yes, yes.
2: So these U-boats, you know, of course, that many U-boats surrendered months and months after the war. Now, there are speculations that they have been to secret bases, uh, and we know for sure that they hollowed in Greenland U-boat caverns and we also know that there's a lot of natural caverns in Antarctica and probably also in uh, around uh, the south of uh, South America and you who are a U-boat guy what do you know about these things?
0: Uh, uh, Yeah, don't know anything positive that I can say yeah this is or this is not but we have solid stories that we're going to check out, not only in Patagonia, uh, but also in uh, uh, the Canary Islands, mm-hmm. uh, because we know at, uh, what is it, Ventura, some German supply ships were docked, and they refueled a lot of submarines, and uh, there was an incredible amount of German U-boat activity around the Canary Islands, because they're owned by Spain and Franco- Turned a blind eye to uh, uh, any of the German units because, you know, Hitler had saved his butt during the Spanish Civil War. Yeah.
2: Mm. So in theory, they could be hiding there after the war for a while before they went to Argentina.
0: Yeah. Uh, there, we just got a report about six months ago of uh, three Germans who had been uh, looking into a cave in the Canary Islands, and two of the divers went in. They allegedly saw one or two Type 7 submarines in there, Uh, but then they went back in again, and they never came out, and the third guy was on the boat, and doggone if it didn't blow up. Hmm. Wow. Ain't those coincidental problems. Mm -hmm. They call that collateral damage here. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Right. Well, I guess peasants will always be collateral damage to the big players. Yeah. Uh,
0: the problem is, if you know too much, you first off, they attack you like the spitlickers are attacking me and some other people that uh, I'm a neo-Nazi. And like I said, I'm not a Nazi neo or any other ways. And uh, we're not a hate group or a history group. And you've been seeing all the stuff that comes out. Uh, no hate. There's no politics, no propaganda. But they try to... Um, Discredit then? But excuse my ignorance. Who are the Spitlickers? <laughs> well, that's what certain people refer to the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center. They
2: still still doesn't ring a bell.
0: Okay. Well, in the United States, this organization called the Southern Poverty Law Center allegedly tries to help poor people in the South get legal representation. In mm-hmm. fact, as they rarely ever do, they're there to collect money. And to find alleged hate groups or subversive people, and they they found well over a thousand, allegedly, in the United States. I didn't know there was a thousand groups of any kind here (laughs) in the U.S., and they had been on the FBI payroll. Uh So every time they found another subversive group, they reported to the FBI, and the FBI gave them money well last year the FBI realized that these people were reporting anybody and everybody just so they could keep the money coming in ah. so the FBI told them goodbye mm. I figure you know pretty soon the, uh, they would uh, they would report the Boy Scouts of America or NASCAR <laughs> as being communist agents <laughs> so right. they try to attack you and, and if that doesn't work they discredit you then if that doesn't work you have an accident
2: right right so it's a clandestine operation yeah
0: I'm
2: not important enough for them to kill me yet. No, no. Well, uh, from your mouth to God's, yeah. (laughs) But if you go to Patagonia, you compare it to the Alps, which, uh, you know, parts of uh, the landscape is truly similar there, but many parts of Patagonia is resemblant of Norway. Actually, it's uh, like being in Norway, especially the western part, because uh, we have those fjords. It looks so similar. Oh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> you keep that in mind next time you go down there.
0: Patagonia <laughs> is very, very long and narrow. Exactly. The part where I go to, Barigoche, Yeah. that's not lot like, uh, like Halifax or, or Chicago would be on the reverse season. But farther right. south, yeah, there's ice cap and there's uh, uh, fjords. And, and I'm sure it's just like your part of the world. Yeah. So what about uh,
2: these claims, then uh, that there were bases in even further south, in Antarctica and stuff?
0: What's your take on that? I, uh, I'm getting hit with so much information from so many different directions about Antarctica. All I can do is say uh, I've got an open mind and I would love to go down there, but first off, if there is anything down there, there would be tremendous security. Hmm. And if there's nothing down there, then I'd be wasting a ton of money. But, you know, finding whether something exists or not is still worth the time. But it it would be so incredibly expensive. Uh, I'm a life member of the Adventurers Club in Chicago, and I used to have dinner with Charlie Walgreen, the guy who owns all the Walgreen drunk stores Or used to pass away. For his 90th birthday, he and some of his friends chartered a C-130, and flew down to the South Pole to have a glass of champagne and a piece of birthday cake at the South Pole, and then fly home. It cost them thirty thousand dollars per man hmm. just for that little run down there. What would it cost for a for a full blown expedition? Yeah, we can go to South America for five or six or seven thousand dollars and get a lot accomplished. It would take. Quarter of a million bucks to go, to go to Antarctica.
2: Well, I don't expect you to personally re- research Antarctica, but I was just wondering if any information of about bases there ever popped up in in all your research. You know, claims, uh, rumors, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, claims and rumors. You know, there are people who swear. Yep, there are bases there. There are uh, uh, vessels, vehicles, craft that can go from pole to pole inside the earth, in in. Five minutes or whatever. Then there are other people who say that's a lot of baloney. It, it doesn't exist. So at this point, all we got is is theories mm. and guesses. Mm. And until until I <laughs> until I put boots on the ground and see something, I can't say yeah, I believe it or I don't believe it. I have to be there. Yeah, sure. And and if anybody out there listening to this broadcast has a quarter of a million dollars you want to invest (laughs) in scientific research, I'll get my parka out, and I'll be down there in a heartbeat.
2: Okay, let's go now to Trace. Let's hunt Hitler, (laughs) regardless of History Channel. Let's hunt him. So, he goes, and you were saying he arrived at, was it Uruguay or Paraguay first?
0: Uruguay. Okay. And from there? Oh, from there... uh, over and they took the train to uh, to the Estancia San Ramon which is about 40 miles before Veriloche and back in those days that's where the rail line stopped and uh, they got there in August or so which was the dead of winter and when I was there in 2008 we went to this Estancia San Ramon uh, the Rancho San Ramon and talked to the manager of the ranch he was a very nice young man about 40 years old spoke Argentinian Spanish with a German accent and he also spoke excellent English with a German accent and he was answering all our questions very politely very straightforward until I asked him which of the guest houses did Hitler and Eva Brown stay in while they waited until the spring thaw to go to their estate. And the man was 40 years old you'd think he would have just said what the hell do I know? I'm, I'm only 40. That was ancient history before I was born. Mm. No, he very clearly and very slowly said, I have been instructed. I must not speak about that. Mm. So that's a, that says a whole lot right there. Mm. Uh, first of
2: all, it tells you that uh, not only were they influential back in the day, but that they're still influential.
0: Yeah that uh, that ranch, at that time, I believe, was still owned by the uh, House of Schomburg-Lippe, which was one of the German princes. And uh, the caretaker who died many, many decades ago, was uh, von Bulow. I forgot his first name, but uh, you know that that's uh, that's an old German name, obviously. A good friend of mine was Otto von Bulow, who was a Knights Cross and oakleaf winner, mm. commander of a U-boat. Mm. Uh, so the point is you know, when somebody asks a question like that, the easy escape would be to just say, hey, I'm only 40 years old that happened before I was ever born Yeah. Oh, instead he, he very plainly pointedly said, I have been instructed I must not speak about that time hmm. interesting
2: so yeah. um, okay, So, so this was the ranch but Hitler didn't live there he just stayed there for a while, right?
0: They stayed there just for a little while till uh, till they could get through. Now, remember, in 1945, it wasn't like you could go out and call a taxi cab. You had to arrange for somebody to transport you, and, and you had to wait till the, uh, the thaw, because uh, back in 1945, the roads were not very nice. Mm. If they had roads, even the road they have nowadays. I drove up that road. Holy smoke, it's just a place where they haven't planted corn. Fortunately, it was a rental car, and I wouldn't want to be the owner of that rental car after I, you know, I drove it. You know, I used to drive Grand National cars, <laughs> and my poor friend. Now, well, he was he was ready to jump out of the car. We were going up the road at high speed, and it was nothing but dirt, dirt, just plain dirt. Mm-hmm. That was the road.
2: Yeah, the infrastructure was primitive, yeah. So, uh, but, but they got, uh, they managed, and, and I guess they had to go to remote places
0: for his security, but yeah. where did he go after the ranch? After the ranch, uh, which was uh, in the spring, then he went to uh, his estate, which is only accessible by water, even today, unless you don't mind tromping like 10 miles through the woods. Mm. Uh, one of our members, uh, uh, an attorney from Mexico City, he went there to visit a couple of years ago and he tromped through the woods all these miles. Okay,
2: so it's just woods, not not mountains, it's not covered by mountains too that you have? No, it's
0: pretty much in the foothills, it's not in the mountains, it's in the foothills. Mm. Okay. So, but at that point it was only accessible by water. And if you come from one direction, you pass a, a large medieval looking Lookout tower where they had a couple of platoons of soldiers whose only job was to let the estate know when somebody was coming by, or if you came from the other direction, there was a small bunker mm. which, which served the same purpose. I was in, uh, in the bunker. You can't go to the to the tower because it's privately owned now. But we went by it, took pictures of it. We went by it in the water. Those pictures are on the website too, Sharkhunters.com. Uh, and I was at the bunker, which has been. Dynamited Uh, in 1960, it was blown up as a uh, as as a a weapons exercise for the Argentine army. They blew up this bunker.
2: That's the that's the cover story, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, funny how uh, you know when people tell you, you know, government tells you something, you have to wonder what do they really mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So once you got to uh, Hitler's home. It was self-contained, it had a little generating room, uh, about five five meters outside the house, and it not only had a little electric generator, it had a stream about one foot wide and fairly deep with water coming down at a pretty strong speed and a little wheel that went into, into water and generated electricity. Wow. Uh, they had another building right near there where all the cooking was done, they had another one right nearby where, where the heat was created for the winter time and it would come into the house through underground pipes. Uh, all the- wow. This is very organized, very elaborate. Yeah, very well organized, you know, your Deutsche Qualität, German Qualität. Mm. Yeah. And all those photos are on my website and uh, so it was self-contained. But you know there are
2: these uh camps or colonies all over South America after the war well uh, there were a lot of people who who you know the the odessa the spider the you like the very infamous Colonia Dignidad. So are we talking about uh, a small state just for Hitler but with a, a adequate technology and people? Or are we talking about a huge colony here with lots of people living, with soldiers and everything?
0: No, that was just a small estate for Hitler, Eva Brown and, and maybe some uh, uh, housekeeping staff. Mm. Uh, the whole area was ringed with observation areas that had been set up by a guy named Otto Mailing in the early days and there was armed security both on the water and on the shore uh, German security and also Hermel Island uh, had to be protected
2: mm.
0: Because of the research, right? Exactly mm. and uh, uh, Peron had his uh, mountain troop uh, training facility right across that strip of water the island is very close to one of the shores. It's a huge lake, beautiful lake, clean, fresh water, cold. Drink it right out of the lake. Mm.
2: But you were talking about one of the estates where he lived that were for sale now for many millions. I guess that was the ranch then, or, or... no, no, that was
0: uh, the estate.
2: That was the estate.
0: It's called Alco. Yeah, down on on the lake.
2: But uh, is that a museum, a mausoleum? What kind of place is it today?
0: It's abandoned.
2: So uh, so it's, it's a ruin, too?
0: No, not ruined. It's well-maintained. It obviously okay. belongs to somebody, but nobody lives there.
2: Uh, but it is not officially... Uh, they, they don't uh, advertise it as, this is Hitler's uh, retirement home or something.
0: No, they don't advertise it at all, except they want to sell it for $40 million. And it, it's a huge piece of property with a lot of buildings. And when we were there the second time, I brought a small group with me, and we hired two small cabin cruisers to take us to the, uh, uh, not to to the, to the finger of the lake. And we beached the boats on the sand and we had to walk about maybe 70 meters to the house across grass. And as I was walking, the boat captain who was about 60 years old, come walking past me, he was goose stepping with his right arm out, out in the air. And I said, what in the hell are you doing? And he smiled and he said, I know who lived here. And again, he put his right arm in the air. I said, yeah, how do you know that? And he said he grew up there. His father was the caretaker, and he grew up on that estate. And he said, I know who lived here. And with that, he turned around and went goose-stepping back to his boat with his right arm in the air. right so we finally found out what his name was I, I can't remember it. it's in my files but I, um, so there, there's
2: so many witnesses there's so many yeah. traces yeah okay so so uh, yeah people down there knew and by the way those who own it if they had any American business sense, they would advertise it as Hitler's uh, mansion and they would get <laughs> get to sell it for millions upon
0: millions well upon yeah millions. either that or open <laughs> it up as a bed and breakfast yeah yeah, museum. Hey, yeah Steve, <laughs> it's a museum a stupid rumor Hitler slept, you know, for only another $150 extra
2: night. Exactly, yeah. Because they do that all over the world with historic characters, exactly. so, so why not? Yeah. And, it's, and it's not controversial anymore. I mean, everybody knows uh,
0: he, he was there. Yeah. So. It's only controversial in Europe. You can't even say his name without having the Barfassan shoots come back.
2: Well, among, I guess, among academics, among the official narrative, but even that is cracking now, you know, because of all the evidence. So, yeah. Yeah. But okay, so was this the final destination, or did they move him around
0: during the... They moved him out of there either 1955 or 60. I I thought it was 55, but when Eisenhower went down there in 60, we have to start looking at this again. But it got to be a very popular tourist area, and so he moved up into Cordova province for a while, and also, I'm, I'm told, into Mendoza province. Ah, because there was starting to become too
2: many spectators in the area, so they need to find a new place. Exactly. Mm. So they moved him to, to uh, other provinces. Yep. Uh, what else do we know about his whereabouts? Yep. By the way, you were talking about... Uh, this um, American president coming down there in the sixties, and we we'll get to that story. But I would just want to insert very quickly that it, he still may have been moving in '55. It's just that even if he Eisenhower came down in the sixties, they could just have met him there, right? Because how safe would it be to? let Eisenhower come right into the living room of Hitler. I don't think that would be very clever. So yeah. <laughs> so he may have been moved in 55 after all, even if they had a meeting there in the 60s. You, you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, that could be. And, and incidentally, it was not in the 60s. It was in 1960 okay. when Eisenhower was still the president. Yeah, right. We
2: gotta- uh, we, we'll get to that. But just let, yeah. let's uh, track Hitler a little more here. So where and then uh, what was the new place still in Patagonia?
0: No, in, uh, in Cordova province, and then also in uh, Mendoza province.
2: But all of these areas are in Argentina, right?
0: Yes, yes. There's a mm. hotel in the Cordova province in the town of La Falda called the Hotel Eden, which had been built oh, at the end of the 1800s. And then in the early 20th century, it was bought out by Mr. and Mrs. Eichhorn. Eichhorn is the German word for acorn. Yeah, And they were very staunch supporters of Hitler, and Mrs. Eichhorn especially, uh, and they had a big courtyard. Now, German tourists came there all the time, very high buck. Uh, and they had a big courtyard, and that was the only place in the whole section of the country where they could get overseas radio, and we have photos of hundreds of people, Germans, sitting in the courtyard, listening to Hitler's speeches on the public address system there.
1: Mm.
0: I was in that very courtyard a couple of years ago. Uh, The hotel has fallen into ruin. Uh, There was a half-hearted attempt to try to bring it back to its former glory, but you're talking heavy, heavy dollars and real reason to do it. Back in those days, you know, they had very expensive rooms and, and a lot of German tourists came in the 30s. But mm. it just kind of gone to hell now.
2: What happened uh, when they got him uh, further away from there?
0: It gets very smoky after that. It's very hard to pin down. Ah.
2: And, and I think Bormann, who called the shots, maybe he didn't need Hitler anymore.
0: Well, I think you're absolutely right. After a very short time, he didn't need Hitler. As you'll read in the book... Don Angel was working for Bormann all through the fifties and in 1958 he had a meeting with Bormann in uh, where the heck was it? Uh, Bolivia I think it was and uh, during the course of their conversation uh, Don Angel asked Bormann what about the Fuhrer and Bormann says well what do you mean by that And and Don Angel said well uh, are you going to bring him back, or or something to that effect? And Bormann said, "That's not important anymore."
1: Mm.
0: So you're right. I think Bormann realized that he really didn't need Hitler, mm. Mm. and uh, just didn't want to throw him to the wolves like they like they let happen to Eichmann. But
2: uh, no, that that would be too dangerous for Bormann himself. So, exactly. mm. but do you think he may have uh, had a hand in? Uh, ending his life? Or maybe that wasn't necessary because he was an old, broken man. Uh, he, he just let him wither away? What's your theory about
0: that? We have no evidence at all to, to show that Hitler was uh, uh, killed. We we have no evidence whatsoever that just looks like he just died of old age. Mm. Uh, 1963, I believe it was. So
2: he, you, you think Hitler lived until 1963?
0: Yeah. Mm. And even, I think it was the Mossad at that point or, or one of the intelligence agencies uh, told their people at that point in 1963, that's it, forget about Hitler. Mm. And was- a- what about plastic surgery? I've
2: seen, uh, I've seen some research online a long time ago. It may have been yours, I don't know. Uh, but I, I saw some uh, stuff, some pictures from Argentina where they said that uh, this was a plastic surgery clinic, and many Germans came here. Um, Do you think they did this on Hitler?
0: Most likely. As for the plastic surgery, yes, we know they had that in many, many places. There's a uh, a little village called Miramar in Córdoba province, which is about 400, 500 miles northwest of Buenos Aires. And there was a Hotel Vienna, V-I-E-N-A. That's not spelled. There's only one N in it if you spell it the Spanish way. Mm. And it was built in nineteen forty five, just before the war ended, mm. with German money. It had elevators and it had air conditioning in a in a hotel five hundred miles away from civilization. Mm. It also had a plastic surgery clinic. <laughs> but- and it also had a sixty meter high lookout tower. Why do you need a lookout tower for a resort hotel?
2: <laughs> and what do you need a surgery clinic in the middle of nowhere?
0: yeah exactly and uh, one of the fellows I know very well I won't go into his name because he's scared somebody's going to kill him uh, he's 73 uh, and his mother knew uh, Ava Brown very well and uh, Agnes Goebbels and when the war ended his father disappeared his mother took him and went down to their coffee plantation in Bolivia and uh, he had been to this hotel in 19 in the 1960s the hotel vienna and it was open and full going and he said it was all germans and that the plastic surgery clinic was was going every day and then who knows maybe maybe it's the wrath of god i don't know but the lake it's a, it was right on the shore of a salt lake All of a sudden the lake rose and rose and rose and filled this hotel all the way to the ceiling of the first floor, which of course destroyed it. Everybody had to leave and the the lake finally went back and the remains are still there. I was in them uh, and uh, there are still pictures on the wall of German cities, German writing on the wall and uh, (laughs) here's another place where uh, No Passar means Harry's welcome. The place is surrounded by a very high fence, and the lady was supposed to take us through there at one o'clock in the afternoon, and we had driven like three, four hours to get there. And then she tells us, oh, no, she can't get there till six or seven at night, and we're supposed to sit in this little town with nothing to do for five or six hours. So I figured, phooey, I went and picked the lock, <laughs> and we, me and one other guy went inside. We're taking pictures all over that's on our website. Mm-hmm. And then we locked up again and we left. And uh, we're about two hours away. And my friend Noel, his cell phone rang. Oh, si, senora, si, senora. Oh, por favor, senora. No, no policia, no policia. <laughs> did, did you find anything? Yeah, she wasn't happy that I let myself in.
2: No, no, but did you find anything when you were snooping around?
0: I found evidence that it was all all German. Mm-hmm. I was up into, you now. there's tons of pictures, but uh, we were up in the elevator uh, motor room and the photo of the paintings on the wall and the, the signs everything was all in German. Mm-hmm. We didn't find one that says uh, this way to the plastic surgery. <laughs> or, or Uncle Adi was here. We didn't see that. Uh, you know, there's no question about it.
2: No, 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 no shaved moustache on the floor or anything. No, 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 no. that was well,
0: maybe we should have looked. I don't know, but those those people from the what is it? Uh, uh, Hunting Hitler? No, it is, it's this ghost Ghost Hunters International. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh geez, what a clown act! They were they were there mm. just a little while before we were, and they were doing everything with infrared films so that it it looks spooky. Mm. And this one guy, speaking English with a Scottish accent, is yelling into the dark. Adolf Hitler, we know you're here. Come out, you must answer for your crimes. And I'm thinking, what kind of a clown act is this? Hitler didn't speak English. Yeah. And, and he wouldn't understand this guy with a Scottish accent. And why would he come out if somebody says, come out and surrender? You know? Yeah,
2: but I, I have a better one. Why would they ask there? He didn't die there. That's true. He, he was just there for a short while.
0: Absolutely correct. <laughs> Well, hey, it's all to you know, all to hear the cash register ring. Yeah, yeah,
2: good TV. They had me
0: that show once. My wife told me I'm an idiot if I do go on that show, and I went on the show. My wife was right. It was the dumbest thing I've done in a while.
2: Oh, so you were a part of this show? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out later then.
0: <laughs> Have fun. Uh, I
2: will. I will. Uh, they
0: had me out there for a whole hour, interviewing for a whole hour out in Hollywood. And they had 10 seconds of me on TV. They never said who I was Typical. or what my credentials were. It just said, it showed a picture of me, and I said, yep, there's no question Adolf Hitler did not commit suicide in a bunker. That's it? That was it. Mm, okay. Yeah. So. Hmm.
2: Well, I think maybe it would be more relevant to be a part of a show like hunting Hitler than than a ghost hunting show. <laughs> that, yeah, no question about that. Is it? Is the Ghost Hunters also History Channel, or is that something else? Some other producers?
0: I don't. I really don't remember. Mm. I, do, I really don't remember. I don't know. Okay.
2: But back to the story. Okay, so he lived maybe to sixty-three, yeah. and uh, obviously he must have been. Together with Eva Brown, at least for a while down in Argentina, right? Right. And is it true but by the way, they were supposedly married in the bunker right before the suicide. Do you know how do you have any info if they did marry in, in actuality?
0: All we have is what his history tells us that they did get married. But the marriage in the in the bunker was supposed to be on the day of the alleged suicide or the day before well they weren't even in the bunker at that time they were gone exactly a week or more before so
2: so they may not have been married but they were together it seems right do you know if they got any children
0: I don't know we hear the stories we hear the rumors Mm. Hitler himself had a son but that was from a prostitute in World War One and that son was long since dead but whether Eva Brown and Hitler had children we hear stories yes we hear stories no Hang on. Is this a
2: son? Is that one of the leverage uh, in force that uh, Heinrich Mueller had on Hitler?
0: Oh no, this this guy died. Uh, well, he was born in World War One, mm. and uh, he died. He was in France.
2: Oh, interesting.
0: And we had a lot of stuff on that, but uh, that that archive has evaporated unfortunately, and the lady who owned the archive was a sweetheart, my best lady friend in all of Germany. She was about eighty pounds and just as tough as nails. And she had this archive and I was able to go in it and see it, but she would not allow me to take photos of anything. And when she got
2: but uh, you have heard the stories uh, but you have seen no evidence as to children in Argentina
0: that's correct I've heard the stories but no evidence so mm. and I've also heard stories that they were married but got divorced again no, no proof then there was there was one wacky thing that Hitler was alive at age 90 and had a black girlfriend and living in Brazil
2: yeah I've seen that. Uh, that, that that's a disinformation don't you think
0: Oh, absolutely. It's either disinformation or somebody who's uh, uh, smoking stuff. He's not supposed to be smoking. <laughs> no, but it, it supposedly came from an FBI file. Well, I didn't I didn't know it came from an FBI file. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think the FBI would have stuff like that in there because No, but,
2: but don't take my word for it. By the way, if FBI knows that he is alive, they probably would swoop swoop up everything, even wacko theories they would probably make reports on even if
0: they don't believe it. So, could be. The FBI uh, is not known for their transparency. (laughs) No. But, um,
2: okay, so Eva Brown, uh, she may have lived all the way to 2012.
0: Yeah, possibly. 2002 we know for sure, but 2000 quite possibly. Mm. It's, it's, uh, you know, I can't help but speculate how, what... What
2: would Hitler himself think and and Eva too about what was going on wouldn't Hitler be onto Bormann or was he just too too weak? These are the things I would love to see a movie about this or, or to be a fly on the wall. Uh, Do you have any theories or, or or rumors or anything about how the dynamic how the how all this uh, transpassed uh,
0: My guess you know what was he thinking? My guess would be he'd just happy to be alive and uh, and Away from an area where he could be uh, captured. That that, if I was if I was him, that would be my theory too, or my thinking. You know, hey, thank God I'm still alive. I'm living in a beautiful area. I got everything I need, food, Mm. except you know, didn't have a a whole lot of human contact except during special occasions. Uh, Mm. We're told that he would get together with some of the people on the birthday parties, Mm. but. After a while, you know, he wasn't able to do hardly anything. So, in
2: a way, he he, he surrendered to the fate to let Borman continue running operations. Then,
0: yeah, that that that's pretty much what happened, and you know, he really wasn't in any position to do anything about it. Borman had had put the uh, uh, power structure together and he was in charge of it mm-hmm.
2: Do you think Bowman's influence uh, reached uh, into like stay behind uh, noto, uh, Gladio or into CIA and, and Gale and do you think he, he actually did uh, you know, manage to influence the post-war network
0: that's a good question. Uh, we hear stories both ways. Mm. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. So at this point in time, again, we can't say yes or no. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: Interesting. Sorry.
2: No, no. Uh, <laughs> that's okay.
0: If I were but, some of these other so-called writers, I'd say, yeah, okay, fine. We'll invent a story to make your airtime longer. But uh,
2: can't do that. No, no, no. You stick to the facts. That's okay. Now to something very interesting. In the UFO community, there is this, and I think it's partly misinformation partly disinformation but there is this big story about how eisenhower met with i guess the aliens or or you know the <laughs> the others <Yeah. laughs> now i think there is a grain of truth to this only that the aliens had a german accent oh. could you uh, please uh, shed light on this from your research
0: um my research doesn't go into this at
2: all no no but uh, you know where i'm going it's the meeting in sure. south america right that's the disinformation the disinformation is that it was a meeting with the aliens whereas in reality he most probably met with i don't know bormann hitler
0: well one of my sources who's a very very well placed source he worked for the spinner until about a year ago mm. he said absolutely he was there to meet with Adolf.
2: Hmm. And
0: uh, whatever they were doing, we have speculation on that, but that's all it is.
2: Yeah, what is what is the speculation? Uh, I mean, as long as people know it's speculation, it's okay, it's fun,
0: you know. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot what that speculation
2: was. Could, could it be that uh, they... Uh, I mean, uh, Eisenhower probably didn't know uh, in the beginning, because uh, I know that Stalin and Eisenhower and many other doubted the British story, but the fact that the meeting and and when was this meeting, by the way? In
0: 1960, I don't know the exact...
2: Yes, so it's after it's after the project, the research project may have succeeded, you know?
0: And I I didn't say that uh, they were meeting... Uh, Hitler and uh, and Eisenhower, I said it is told to me by one of my sources that was why Eisenhower was down there, right, but by the same token and i i can 't understand i can 't explain this for the world, but when Bill Clinton was the president, he and his wife Hillary you know the 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 queen or the Empress, whatever the hell she wants to be, Surely they are. were down at this same place, Shao Shao, wow. during his presidency. What the heck was that all about hmm. So it can't be it can't be that kind of place that everybody wants to go to. If you got a lot of money, you go to uh, the Riviera or you go someplace like that. You don't go to the outback of uh, of Argentina. But but is this place
2: strategically placed uh, when you talk about a post-war network of uh, former Nazis? Could it be that uh, there is some kind of power base, Bormann base
0: there? That I don't know. There was a lot of Germans living there. That part we do know. And there was a high security area for Germans living there. There were a lot of SS men. I met some of them. There were a lot of families that came over from Germany. and, And the men were in the party or in the SS or whatever, yeah. But I don't think it was strategic from a military standpoint. Um, no, polit- so, political maybe, I don't know. I don't know either, but why why they were there, who knows. And, uh,
2: mm.
0: of course, speculating with Bill Clinton and Hillary there, they were buddies with Christina, who's the current president, but this was 20-something years ago, and Christina was young and beautiful then, and <laughs> we've heard stories about Bill and Hillary, so...
2: Hmm.
0: But, uh, you know, you said
2: it yourself that there are children and there's children, children still living on. How much of the, should we say, the the philosophy of the party and of Hitler's uh, notions do you still think lives on among these people? Do you think they have upgraded, uh, that they are kind of following our culture today? Or is it a stronghold of the old ideals
0: that they held?
2: That I'm sure you know a little more about because you're so connected. What's your thoughts about that? Yeah, I
0: know a little about that. Uh, it, it depends. Like, uh, uh, for instance, uh, what is it? Borman's children. Uh, his oldest son was a, a was a minister or a priest or something, and. He was totally 180 degrees out. Are you talking about the children in Germany? or? or... No, I was in Germany, but down in Argentina now, mm-hmm. I only met a couple of the younger ones. Uh, I went in, into uh, in this one village that had been settled by the sailors from the Graf Spee in, in Cordoba province. And I went to buy some presents for my wife and kids, and the guy didn't speak English, so I thought maybe he could speak German, so I, I spoke to him in German and, no, no, por favor, uh, señor, momentito. And he's on the phone, yakking away, uh, so he tells me in, in Spanish five minutes. So I wait, this good-looking young German kid comes in, about 30 years old, six foot tall, blue eyes, blonde hair, and uh, he spoke you know, obviously German, and he helped me pick out what I needed for my family, and then we talked his grandfather, was an adjutant in the Panzer Corps under Kurt Panzermeyer. And so he knew the history quite well. Now, whether he was political or not, we didn't get into that. Mm. My guess is, yeah, they are, because Mm. think about it, Al, you are the way you are because of the way your parents taught you and because of your environment, your surroundings. Mm. So down there, their parents taught them whatever they taught them, and they were in that environmental surrounding. And in that town, it's going to drive me nuts, the name of the town, I can't remember it, but we stayed in the Hotel Bavaria, and most of the shops down there had German names. So, Hmm. draw your own conclusions. Yeah,
2: yeah. No,
0: but uh, there is... uh I guess you could
2: say there are three types of uh, people we're dealing with here. You have one, the true believers, the real hardcore, like SS people, etc. They wouldn't... I mean, for them, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't just uh, an opportunistic thing. They were true believers, and Hitler was the redemptor. Then you have the... I guess you could say the opportunists, those who... You know, maybe they were party members, maybe they were involved, but... And I, actually, I, I don't look at Bormann as a, a true believer. I think he was an opportunist, a oh, yeah. very calculated psychopath.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. Yes,
2: yes. Unlike Hess and uh, Himmler, who were <laughs> very idealistic. Right. And yeah. then you have the third category, which we have already covered, which is the soldiers, which is the people who were, you know, trapped into all these political games. Right. And I guess we have a fourth category, too, when it comes to Argentina and South America, because you also have Germans who just... Germans uh, without having any ties or associations with, with the Nazi party or anything, because there's been Germans there for ages, long before there was anything called a Nazi. Exactly. So, uh, in, in this mix of all kinds of people, I'm kind of interested in seeing how influential were the true believers, the what we could call the Odessa, the spiders, and we know that witnesses about Hitler, some have been threatened, uh, I think one got a phone call from uh, to leave Eva Brown alone. Uh, and I think they were even uh, identifying themselves as Gestapo. And this is, I guess, in the 70s or something, long after the war.
0: Any thoughts about this? Only what I've heard. And again, you know, you can't hang your hat on hearsay.
2: No, that's true. But uh, then again, long before it was uh, clean to, to believe that Hitler survived... There was a lot of hearsay in Argentina about that. Sure. and And we also know for a fact, and I guess you know this too, that not just in Argentina, but especially in that area where all these countries meet, uh, you know, between Chile, Argentina... Uh, In the Andes Mountain, there are are these complexes of camps or colonials.
0: uh, Yeah, you're referring to colonia dignitat, uh, among others.
2: Yeah, which is the most famous. Actually, there's a Hollywood movie coming out about that now.
0: Oh, is there? Okay.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's a Hollywood movie, by the way, but it's a movie, a huge movie with famous stars. Oh and I was—I think it's out already, but it's very new. Uh, it's a girl from Harry Potter, Emma Watson, is playing the lead role. It's about, but I think they're focusing on the pedophilia and the abuse aspect. I don't think they're portraying very much the fact that uh, they were SS people and uh, that the leader, i I mean, I mean, they do mention it, but I don't think that's the focus at all. I think it's about the missing children and even even German missing Germans and all that. So. Well, but I don't know. I haven't seen it yet.
0: The Colonia Dignidad was founded by about three hundred SS soldiers down there, and it was a closed community. But allegedly, when Pinochet was trying to topple Allende, uh, thousands of Allende supporters were hauled into Colonia Dignidad, but they never came out.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: we were watching Pinochet's victory parade or whatever in 1990 I think it was 89 or 90 Mm -hmm. and the camera was behind Pinochet and he was to the left of the screen and he was saluting and you could see his troops marching across from left to right on the screen and I told my wife I said look at those uniforms if they were black you'd swear you were in Munich in 1936 they looked like the SS and my wife said and look at the cuff on Pinochet's jacket. He had a big, wide cuff, Uh and it had the German oak leaves all around it, and right in the middle, Al, I saw it with my own eyes, was the Sigrun SS. Wow.
2: So, so, because the history says that CIA was paramount in getting Pinochet into power. Now, maybe, maybe the clandestine part of this is that it was the post-war Nazi network. And I think, and I think that even if CIA was involved, which obviously they were, but maybe they weren't calling the shots because we also know that CIA was Heavily infused with ex-Germans sure. after the war, just like Nassau was.
0: Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Uh, but whether whether they helped put Pinochet in power by themselves, or whether it was uh, whether the CIA was working in one part and Pinochet was working with Colonia Dignidad in another area, I don't know. Mm. But even today, if you watch. The parades in Chile, you'd swear you were in 1936 Munich. They have the same uniforms, and they <laughs> goose-step the same. But, but, uh, but that doesn't make sense. Isn't
2: Chile, isn't that socialistic or something now? Hasn't they turned politically completely?
0: Well, it could be, but why would they change the uniforms of their of their
2: soldiers? I don't know. I guess I don't. Know. I guess if they if they're not conscious about it, I don't know. But when we talk about these things, what about Peron? I mean, he didn't have the he didn't have complete power all the way until sixty three. So weren't Bormann and Hitler in risk of being exposed uh, after Peron's fall?
0: That's a good question. I don't have an answer. Mm. Mm. Um, Maybe it's just like I say that by the 1960s, you know, Adolf who? Yeah. Why would we bother going after him? I don't know the answer. No. And
2: by the way, the Germans were still powerful, even if Peron wasn't in power. They were still powerful.
0: Right. Mm. One thing, here's something that a lot of people don't know. One thing that Peron doesn't have, his hands. Somebody broke into his crypt, I think it was 19... whenever it was, somebody broke into his crypt and cut off his hands. Really? Yeah. Wow, why would they do that? Uh, Theory is that you need fingerprints to get into some of those secret accounts, and Ah. lots of poor people were not just embalmed, they they had a, a system of draining the blood and refilling with glycerin. Now, Evita was looked like she was still alive laying on a table. I was in the room where she was laying in state in Buenos Aires. She was there for three years until uh, uh, Peron fell out of power and she was taken to Italy for safekeeping. Mm. And Peron was also treated this way. Lennon, same thing. I was in Lenin's tomb. The man looked like he could get up and walk away. (laughs) It looked like it was perfect. Mm. So, you know, but... Yeah, because we we have... um...
2: I know there is evidence, um, his name slips near me now, but there was this uh, researcher who, you know, the, the researcher who, who had this very popular book back in the day about Borman's survival. Um, what was his name? La- Largo, Ladargo, something oh, like that. Oh,
0: Ladislav Sparago. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think it was him. He
2: was a good researcher. Yeah, I think it was him, or one of the others, who documented that Bormann was into banking all the way from, even before the end of the war, I think it's from 1940 or 42, and all the way up to, I think it was 1968 or 1970. We have different signatures, we have different evidence of this. And uh, there is also this famous joint signature of Peron and Bormann. Yep. And it makes so much sense, what you just said, that If Perón passed away, uh, unconveniently, unexpectedly, you know, (laughs) they need his hands to get released uh, the goods, the the loot, the money.
0: And one of our researchers, who is a a, a real expert on Evita, where she went, where she might be today, uh, he indicated to me, I was just with him uh, two weeks ago, uh, and he believes that uh, Evita had some fingers taken off. Now, I haven't dug into it any further because that's not my area of expertise, and he's going to be coming out with a book wow. soon. I, I assume so. There's so much more skullduggery duggery yeah. than we've been told. Yeah, I'll keep a lookout for the book. Yeah, because
2: I heard that some of the funds were channeled into Evita's charity work.
0: So that's... Oh, that yes, that was her Rainbow Tour in
1: 1947,
0: mm. and she is. <laughs> she's the reason that Argentina went broke at uh, the beginning of the war Argentina was in better condition than the United States uh, you know financially economically etc yeah. but then she got into uh, with with uh, Perón and she was so left wing she was giving away money to everybody and wow. and she's almost like a goddess down there yeah. after Perón got kicked out of power the last time or, or when he died uh, it was against the law to mention his name in public, and now the Peronista party is the biggest party down there. But Evita, never, nobody ever spoke badly about Evita, beautiful one, gave everything away
2: yeah she's she's legendary i think madonna portrayed her in a movie and yeah. and you have don't cry for me argentina all that stuff yeah it was a cult around her personality
0: right. and, and, <laughs> we uh,
2: don't understand this up here you know but uh yeah it's a cultural thing i guess
0: there are bu- buildings down there huge big skyscraper buildings with gigantic pictures or whatever of evita mm. made out of pipes on the side of the building huge, like 10 15 stories high there's evita Wow. So, um, yeah. No, but I mean, if, if Peron was in
2: Bormann's pocket, I can appreciate that Argentinians looked to Evita if she if she spent some of that money on their people. I can I can understand why they like because the alternative would be Bormann, which he didn't. He wasn't the most generous person around. <laughs> no, he was
0: not. He, his whole world was Bormann. Yeah. Uh, as you say, he was not an ideologue like like Himmler or some of those other guys. His his number one concern was Bormann. Yeah. How long do you think he lived,
2: or do you know anything about
0: this? I I don't know, but uh, there's a lady in Argentina. She's a British woman who li- lives in Buenos Aires. The name of Lawrence Mello. She's quite the expert on Bormann. So she. And what- what does she say? I, I never asked her about that part. I'll, I'll be seeing her in February, so we'll probably talk more about Bormann at that time.
2: Yeah, I think Bormann may be the probably the most interesting person to uncover about this because okay, Hitler, yeah, yeah, because he's such a big name, right? But yeah. he was insignificant after the war. You cannot say the same thing about Bormann. Sure. He was calling the shots. Yep. And digging into him would probably uncover a lot about today's uh Uh, should we say, financial, uh, you know, corporations, cartels, because he invested heavily into, he he became this super capitalist. And there are even conspiracy theories that 9-11, you know that 9-11 is very significant for people in Chile.
0: (laughs) Oh, I didn't know (laughs) that.
2: Yeah, because that's the day Pinochet took over for when they ousted um, Ayanda, no, no, that was eleventh of September. So some people say it's a signature about uh, the, the people behind the. Because I mean, one thing is primitive terrorists with box cutters, right? But the conspiracy theory, and I, I'm not saying I'm buying into it. I'm just referring it. Right. Is that behind the, those people were powerful influences? And uh, some say, I mean, some say it's an inside job, but it's it's probably, You know, I won't get into that now, but it's not so logical. I think if there are higher powers involved, you have to look to who have the influence and the money to do something like that. And yeah, people are pointing to the Saudis, but we also know that the Saudis are Wahhabists and the who else than SS people were building them up before the war during the war and especially after the war so yeah there is you said it yourself everything is connected to everything and we don't know say speculation but 11th of December is a very interesting date so just to (laughs) mention that conspiracy theory too yeah well, it's a it's a frightening scenario to think if if it's something like that. So I think looking into Borman and finding out about his post-war empire would be interesting. Maybe that should be a third book for you. Oh, we've got a Because <laughs> you you're well seated.
0: Yeah, we've got a couple other books already in progress.
2: Oh, let's hear what what's your next research project?
0: Uh, the next one is prim- probably going to be uh, all the all the spook stuff that went on. We've got. Tons and tons of files from uh, some of our people who were spooks during the war, like uh, Peter Hansen and some others, and uh, we'll knit it all together in in a book about uh, spook work. During the war. For the
2: uninitiated, uh, the spooks are referring to... Spies. So you have uh, you have people in your network who used to work for the espionage uh, uh,
0: agencies. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, this fellow I talk about, Peter Hansen, he was uh, with the Abwehr, German. Hmm. And the guy is just an incredible fountain of information. He knew Canaris personally. He knew Dönitz personally. Hmm. And he's, he's still alive? Yep. 92 years old. Still in good shape. I just got a letter from him yesterday. Hmm. A letter. He does not own a computer. <laughs> he does not own a television set. Wow. He's a... <laughs> old school. <laughs> he's a brilliant man. Hmm. He and his wife, they read and they read and they read. And when they buy books so much that they've got no more book space, they give away their books to the library and go buy more. The man is brilliant. Hmm. He, yeah. So
2: so few people read books these days it's it's frightening.
0: Yeah, well, I hope more people read my book. <laughs>
2: no, but books books are the way to go because, sure, you can look at the television uh, program, etc., but you never get in-depth and you always get the narrative that they want to put out. But books, on the other hand, gives you the opportunity to relate to the information. You can be much more critical to the information. You can verify, you can track down stuff it's a completely different uh, thing and And in the old days people used to read
0: yeah well not only in the old days my daughter who's uh, now 24 when she was just a little kid learning her alphabet oh she complained and complained (laughs) I said listen once you learn how to read uh, you won't be able to get away from it and sure enough as soon as she got reading when she got into high school she was buying books like mad she owns more than 400 books and uh she was always at the library getting more. And and I think this is wonderful because uh, she just finished her first year in her master's program with a 3.9 grade point average. Uh, but with a book, if you miss something, you can go back and look it up. You can mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. your yellow highlighter and highlight passages that you need to remember. You can look at the back of the book and find out what your sources were. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I you know, and I'm not and trying I, to... I,
2: and it's very healthy, because when you get into reading, eventually, and I'm saying this, you know, for the benefit of people who maybe don't read that much, but you will you really discover that it's better than movies, because you get pictures in your mind.
0: Exactly.
2: Uh, and it makes you much more creative.
0: Right. And, uh, of course, I'm not... Of course, I'm, I, yeah, I'm trying to... Uh, sell my book but uh, not for the obvious reasons i don't get any of the money from the book i don't get a salary from shark hunters or nothing it all goes back into running shark hunters to where we can find this history and, and just tell people about it I, i'm just mm. i'm an old guy i'm on i'm on retirement so i don't need money from the book mm. but i just hate a question that doesn't have an answer mm. so i gotta find the answer mm,
2: mm, mm. Uh, I have a couple of more questions for you uh, sure. which you can answer before we go I have one personal question but I want to end with that uh, I want to ask first uh, you said they have financial problems in Argentina today yeah. uh, and back in the day after the war they were very wealthy because millions of millions were pumped into to it from, from uh, right. surviving Germans now why do you think that is it that everybody has uh, died away how could how could the money disappear from Argentina if you know something about that
0: I, I don't know anything about it but uh, uh, you're assuming that the money did disappear maybe it did maybe it's locked up in somebody's own personal account I don't know mm. but when I was there last year uh, the streets needed repair work the sidewalks needed repair work and it wasn't done whereas prior years Everything was spotless, and I went to the uh, Plaza de Mayo, which is in front of the Casa Rosada, the pink house where the government is, and uh, it's a beautiful plaza with grass and flowers and all sorts of stuff around the walking area, Uh, but last year when I was there, every square inch of grass, dirt, had tents on it, and people squatting there, people living there and everybody was protesting something or another and uh, it just just looked like it was uh, n- not quite under control remember the, the president of Argentina died a couple of years ago uh, what the hell was uh, Kirchner mm. Nestor Kirchner which is not a very Argentine name oh. Kirchner is <laughs> German it means churchman. man yeah. <clears throat> he died and uh, the, the country was pretty well run I believe, with with him in charge, but then he passed away, and his wife took over the presidency somehow. And uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, she's not looked on very favorably by the people in Argent by a lot of people in Argentina. They don't think she's running the government properly. I don't know. It's not my country, so mm-hmm. I mean, who am I to talk? Look at the mess we have in this country. Mm, yeah,
2: <laughs> something's got to give.
0: But, no, we won't discuss it.
2: No, not today. We need a whole show for that. Okay. But um, uh, when it comes to Argentina, I'm thinking that if they, you know, if if they moved away, the I mean the movers and shakers, or if they died out, it would make sense. But if it was there, if they still used Argentina or indeed other countries in South America as a base of operations you would expect their neighborhood to be in a better shape. And until the 70s, sure, you can make a case for there being influential exile Germans still living there. But then something happens, especially during the 90s and, and the 2000s, and that is that Regime after regime falls. I'm not just talking about dictatorship. I'm also talking about conservative governments and one country after another become left wing. Now, that tells me that there can't be much Nazi influence still in those countries. Because if it was, <laughs> that wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but for me it's puzzling that suddenly whole of South America, almost, except maybe Colombia and another country, turns left. That tells me that there is no more influence anymore from the network. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, you could be right, or maybe... They are more concerned now, the people you know you refer to the old Nazis. Maybe they're more concerned with being financially successful than they are about an ideology. I don't know.
2: Oh, good point. Good points. Yeah, because corporations know no border, no country.
0: That's for sure, and they have no scruples or no honor. Mm. Oops, I'm sorry. We're not supposed to say that on your show. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, you know, corporations are people, so you can't insult them. <laughs> well, true. Uh, and, and bear in mind, too, the, uh, the Argentine peso is falling like a stone. When I was there last year, one U.S. dollar got six and a half pesos on legal exchange. Now, I think it's uh, 11 or 12 pesos legal, but on the street you can get 50 or 70% more on the street. And as you walk down, I stay at a very nice hotel, which is run by the Navy, the mm-hmm. uh, Argentine Navy, and it's right by uh, a street called Calle Florida, which is a walking street where they've got Dooney and Burke and, and, and all these high buck, Saks Fifth Avenue, all the high buck stores. Mm-hmm. You can't walk down that doggone street with it, uh, every 20 or 30 feet some guy is standing along there yelling cambio cambio you know dollars dollars <laughs> you can get you can get 50 or 60 or 70 percent more than the legal rate hmm. from these guys
1: hmm.
0: so you know that, that that's a pretty sad commentary
1: hmm.
0: and, uh, but as, as a Yankee going down there uh, I'm not unhappy uh, I stay in this very nice hotel that has breakfast and everything and maybe it cost me 25 or 30 bucks u.s money hmm. uh, you can get a real nice steak dinner with a glass of wine and some dessert maybe 10 bucks you know 10 Yankee dollars so uh, i don't mind that but uh, you know for the average argentine citizen it's uh, it's rough hey maybe
2: i can lure you up to norway after all because <laughs> uh, you know norway is a very expensive country but The last two years, the kroner has gone from six kroner for a dollar to nine for a dollar. So now it's much cheaper for (laughs) tourists. Just keep that in mind.
0: (laughs) If I come to Norway you're going to be darn sure it's going to be in July or August. It sure as hell yes. not going to
2: be around Christmas time. <laughs> no, actually, if you go from, yeah, May, June until August, you're good. Okay, yeah. In fact, uh, if you come in the middle of the summer, you, you could be in Florida weather-wise. So. Okay. Yeah, it's a very extreme. It goes from very cold in the winter too very warm in the summer. So um, I see. Yeah. Now, two more questions, and then yes, I'll sir. let you go. Um, you should be getting
0: my monthly magazine, Al. It tells you all the stuff. No,
2: but I'm, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to buy both your books. And uh-huh. I, I should have done it before this interview, but, you know, it's also recent. You know, we were. it's not long ago that we tipped off. So I'm going to get both your books. And if we have you back in the future, I'm much more prepared. Yeah. Uh, and if you're going to write more books about this subject I uh, uh, I think we should take a new new discussion. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. Also you've been yeah. teasing us with all these pictures on your website so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to check out yeah, that Yeah, there's too. no
0: question there's more books coming uh, assuming I don't have an accident or commit suicide or something like that. <laughs> Funny how those things happen. Same thing happened to John F Kennedy right after he said he's going to get off the federal dollar Yeah, yeah. and prevent Israel from getting nuclear weapons.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, among many things. Uh, I mean, there's so many suspects in that case, in case. And he was
0: so wealthy to be bought, so what happened? They just, yeah. you know, like the like the Mexican drug lords say, uh, we'll pay you either in silver or in lead. <laughs> it's uh, not yeah. a hard decision to, to make if you've got any morals and scruples.
2: You're so right. But for the record, you have no plans of accidenting or killing yourself, right?
0: Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, If I didn't kill myself when my son was killed back in 1984. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. And then I raised him. Yeah.
2: No, but I'm saying this, you know, because there's so many convenient suicides. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, so, or accidents. Yeah, accidents. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But this this actually brings us uh, neatly full circle around, because my last question for you is about your background. We, You've slipped it out there that you've been into car racing, is the word, and also you've been in the military. You said it yourself. We're all a product of our environment and our heritage. And you also told us a little about how you got into, especially the Hitler survival thing. Yeah. But uh, just at all, why did you found the shark hunters? How did you get into what? Why was your interest around all this stuff awakened in the first place? I think it would be interesting since you're not into this from being an academic historian or something. Right. People would probably want to know, why is this Harry Cooper guy? <laughs> how did he become an expert on all this? And And why did you at all become interested in all this?
0: Yeah. That's a a very good question. Uh, I came out of uh, high school. I wanted to be a fighter pilot because I knew every fighter plane there was in World War II. I went into the Air Force and surprised they do not issue you a fighter plane. And uh, so I was a special weapons guy. And I got out because um, I qualified for pilot training, but they had shut down pilot training because they were overloaded with pilots from the war. So I got out, went to college, went into the regular working world, and uh, I was also driving race cars, uh, short tracks around Chicago, and then on the super speedways, Texas World Speedway, Pocono, etc. And then everything went upside down. I, in the 1976 Texas 500, I was in the lead group with some of the greats, A.J. Foyt, Bobby Unser, Al Unser. I blew the engine in my car. Going back to Chicago where I lived, I blew the engine in my truck. I was a good driver, not a good engine builder. <laughs> and uh, yeah. got back. To work, I was an executive with a chemical company and found out my boss had quit. And a corporate executive I couldn't stand was now my boss. So I said, to hell with it, sold everything I owned, bought a 30 foot sailing yacht. I'd never sailed before. And I put an ad in a cruising magazine for female crew companion. Got over 200 replies, Cut cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. And I left Chicago with a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead that were 24, 24, and 25 years old. And I was 40 it was a nice life. They were all good Yeah, nice. So we sailed to the Bahamas and came to this one island called Darby Island, which was round. Most Bahama islands are long and skinny. This one was round, three miles diameter, and there was a ruined mansion on the hilltop. So I asked the old caretaker, what was the scoop? And he said, uh, they had provided fresh water and food to German U-boats. Hmm. And my first thought, of course, was those damn Nazis. Cause that's what we were taught and uh, he showed me where to chop through the underbrush and I found the remains of the barracks building and the radio shack took pictures of it okay <clears throat> I had other things on my mind that were more important like Karen Lynette and Debbie
2: <laughs> which were these uh, female companions <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. So finally, after you know one by one they went back home and another one to come out and etc etc and finally after about eight years I put my hand in my pocket I had $5 left to my name, <laughs> so the adventure nice. was over. I sailed back and I went back to work as a vice president of a company, and I started to research the U-boats, and I found out that all this stuff about murdering people in the water and rabid Nazis and all that was all propaganda. They were decent mm-hmm. young men, just like I was when I went into the Air Force, just like everybody is when they go into the military, And worse yet, they had the worst casualty rate of any military source ever in history as a comparison. The United States. Really?
2: really? It's really more than the Soviet Russian. uh,
0: Yeah. That can't be right. I mean,
2: during the Second World War, millions upon millions of Russians. It wasn't the Allied who took the load, it was the Russians. Right, but I'm talking percentage.
0: Okay. As, a, as a comparison, the United States Navy submarines had the worst casualty rate of any American military source, uh, uh, service one man out of seven was killed one man out of seven, Al, that's a lot
2: that's a lot
0: On the German side it was reversed one man out of seven came home Wow. and I thought it was just wrong these guys were brave they fought honestly, honorably, fairly in the early stages of the war they helped the guys after they sank the ships And I just thought it was wrong to paint them with a false story that they were murderers and and all that, because it just wasn't true. So I started Shark Hunters in 1983, 2nd of February. I sent a letter to six other people I thought were the only people in the world interested in U boats. Mm. And now we've got, uh, we're just about to hit 8,000 members. And. no end in sight, and thank God I started when I did, because most of the surviving U-boaters were still alive, and I met them and became friends with them. Otto Kretschmer, the top submarine commander of the war. I had my own sleeping room in his house, Hardigan, who is still alive at almost 103 years old. I've been in his house, I don't know how many times, he's been over to visit me. Top, to the it could go on and on, but I knew all those guys, and they gave me their history which is what sets shark hunters apart from all these Mm. honey-come-lately websites who have never met a U-boat guy, and they do their research from their computer. Mm. I was there. I go to Germany at least twice a year since 1988.
2: And you have the advantage of getting people from all parts of the war who actually participated, so you
0: can actually get
2: several perspectives at once. Exactly.
0: Yeah, we... We have a print that we sell which shows U-99 under Otto Kretschmer shelling uh, two British armed merchant cruisers, the Laurentic and the Patroclius, and we, sh- we advertise this, and I got an a, a email back from one of our members from the Royal Navy. He says, I was the gunner on the Patroclius that fired that shot. You show a big water spout right next to the submarine. He says, I was the gunner on that ship that fired that shot. <laughs> so we both sides of the story. Mm. rather than you know on such and such a day this battle occurred and this many people got shot we put it down to what was what was Hans doing in the motor room what was Siegfried doing up in the torpedo room each guy has his own story to tell
2: Mm -hmm. so you kind of uh, you document and collect this for also future preservants then
0: yeah we've got the second largest archive in the world the largest of course is in Germany and it's monster huge but ours is the second largest in the world. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we had to buy the house next door to put all this stuff into. we got 5,000 <laughs> books over there. We've got about, Jeez. I don't know how many, tens of thousands of pages of files and photographs. And I
2: hope you're digitalizing it uh, because it's so vulnerable when it's on um, paper. It is,
0: yeah. yeah. And, and you're absolutely correct. I'm going to get in contact with a university and have them... I'll give them all the original documents, but they have to digitize it for mm-hmm. me first. Clever. That's within the next 12 months we're going to do that. Mm. You're right. It's absolutely critical. Some of it is irreplaceable. Letters from, from the guys who are gone.
2: Kretschmer. Yeah. People are dying off now. So so yeah. it's, uh, yeah.
0: Mm. Nobody gets out of his life alive.
2: <laughs> that's the only thing that's sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They say death and taxes, but I've been ducking taxes. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. The IRS is listening. No, I'm, I'm an old guy on, on Social Security, so I don't pay taxes anymore.
2: Right. Well, I won't even start to t- tell you about Norwegian conditions when it comes to taxes, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, mm. I think all of Europe is heavily, heavily taxed.
2: Yeah, but there are internal differences, and... Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like, I told you, like I told you off-air, the price of for instance, uh, alcohol or cigarettes, which is a very good compulsion uh, example, right? And right. that's just due to taxes. That's
0: right. It. I don't know what cigarettes cost here because uh, when I was a 16-year-old punk with a black leather jacket, uh, I thought I would smoke just like my buddies. I got halfway through my first cigarette and I thought, boy, you got to be dumber <laughs> than a stick to do this. So I quit halfway through my first cigarette.
2: You were ahead of time because now it's not uh, not even punk smoke anymore. So <laughs> yeah,
0: well, my mother and father, my dad smoked four packs a day, my mother three. We couldn't go anywhere in the car without it. Just oh, just horrible. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I too grew up with with cigarettes in the car. So
0: yeah, I, I
2: always got car sick from from it. So yeah, I, yeah, mm.
0: absolutely. And uh, you know, we didn't know it caused cancer back in those days. All I knew is it just stunk. Hmm. And my dad lost all his teeth by the time he was uh, 35 or 40 years old Because that stuff just eats away everything So, But I, I, I can't say that I didn't drink When I was driving race cars, that was part of the image I could go through a whole fifth of Canadian club And be straight as a string But I gave that up last time I was drunk was February of 1987 Now if I have five or six drinks in a whole year, that's a lot So I'm saving money <laughs> cheating the tax man by not buying cigarettes and booze. Exactly. <laughs> it really that to somebody else.
2: Yeah, unfortunately. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think we covered most bases. Is there anything you want to add to, to this topic today?
0: Well, uh, just that uh, I, I hope I've answered your questions, and if any of your listeners would like a free copy of our magazine, Digitalized, all they have to do is send an email to me at sharkhunters at earthlink.net and Mm -hmm. see they heard me on your program and they want a free copy of the magazine we'll just send it right out
2: cool could they could I do this also online through your website
0: oh yeah absolutely yes sharkhunters.com and they can go to that and see all the photos of all the places we've been and believe me they better have snacks ready (laughs) because it'll just suck them right in they'll be there for three four five hours
2: and, of course, the books we've been covering today are the first one called Hitler in Argentina. By the way, when did that come? When did you publish that?
0: Uh, the first one was a couple of years ago, and we've just come out with a, with a revised version, uh, just cleaning up some of the artwork and pictures, etc.
2: Yeah, but when did the first one uh, come out? Do you remember the
0: year? Well, the first one was, uh, you know, what the heck was it, 2012. Okay. But the first book, though, was 2004, I believe it was. That was called Escape from the Bunker. And that was basically the letter from Don Angel, which was very, very long. But then it was about 150 pages long in the book. But now we've added all the, not all, but a lot of documentation, FBI files, letters, actual letters from Don Angel to me uh, with the translations. And so, uh, like I say, by the time you're done with the book, uh, there are people that have read it and have reviewed it and said it was uh, horrible, terrible. They can't believe it. Well, those people, you know, got their head up in a dark and smelly place. And uh, <laughs> if they still want to believe that Hitler committed suicide after they've read all the facts that's in the book, obviously they still believe some fat guy in a red suit is going to come down the chimney on Christmas <laughs> Eve.
2: Yeah, but that's the buzzword, uh, that's belief, because that's what it's about. If you do not take heed of the facts, it's just belief. Now, that means that you actually have three books. Uh, you have the first one, Escape from the Bunker, uh, the second one, Hitler in Argentina. Yeah. And the third one, Hitler and the Secret Alliance. Now, I asked you about when the Hitler in Argentina book came out because you know that an avalanche of Hitler escape books came out about that time, around two
0: thousand. <laughs> my book came out. Yeah, a lot of their stuff reads just like my book.
2: But <laughs> your first book were way before that avalanche. The first book, Escape from the Bunker, yeah. was back in in mid two so thousands. That means you were. It was before the. Skull was verified in right.
0: 2009. Well, not only that, Al. We published what was escaped from the bunker. We published that in serial form in my magazine from 1987 onward. So, you know, about 30 years ago, we came out with that.
2: Yeah. So that's that's
0: pretty early. Yeah. The
2: only earlier would be to go down to Argentina where they've been talking about this thing since 45. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow it never it was never taken serious uh, by the western media or academics. Right because
0: we weren't supposed to know the
2: true story and it wasn't. Yeah. But that's changing. Well, yeah, it's changing now
0: because there's so much pressure and because the FBI files are released and like I say it was one of our guys who got them released.
2: Was it through a Freedom of Information Act?
0: Well, I don't know what he went through, but uh, he found them about six or seven years ago, and he went to the uh, no, he <laughs> wasn't freedom. He's a police officer, and he went into the National Archives and was going through all that stuff, and found box after box after box of files that the archivists didn't even know they had, and uh-huh. went to uh, the proper authorities and got them declassified and sent them wow. copies of them. We got we got. You wouldn't believe my office and the office next door. Geez, it looks like a bomb went off in the public library. There's piles of paper every which way. Mm, that's great. Maybe I should have it digitized. What do you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. It's it, I think it's your duty, actually, because yeah. there are people in the future who will ask questions. And like you say... Hearsay isn't exactly the best, and especially in this day and age when there are so much propaganda and excuse my French bullshit out there, yeah. we need primary sources. Well, right, primary sources above yeah.
0: all. Yeah, and these are primary sources. Not only, like I say, the FBI files, the CIA files, the OSS files, also original letters from these people who were there and uh, telling us what they did. We also have DVDs that we did with some of the top skippers. Before they died, this was back in 1989, 90, 90, well, something like that, uh, with uh, Kretschmer and Top and Hardigan and uh, many other skippers. They sat down and they talked to us. We asked them questions and they talked to us. You can't get this kind of stuff anymore because, well, sadly, they're all dead except Hardigan. And he's come up to 103. He doesn't talk to people anymore.
2: Are these DVDs for internal purposes or do you sell them to? We
0: sell them. Yeah, that's on, the, that's on our website. Go, go to our website Not and that. click under store. And they're supposedly playable anywhere in the world. Mm.
2: If you go to his website, you get free stuff. You get articles. You get pictures. And you can also, for those of you who are into war history, is probably a gold mine of information. Not just what we talked about today, but all aspects of of this.
0: Ain't that so? All sorts of stuff. You bet. Even some stuff about the Flyboys, because a lot of the Flyboys were were members too. We had a a group called Eagle Hunters, but uh, we lost the editor, so I just kind of merged that into shark hunters and uh, oh. the, the the greatest fighter pilot ever uh, Erich Hartmann was a member until he died, Adolf Galland, the third most successful fighter pilot, Gunter Rall. I was in his house in Germany, he was a funny guy and he spoke perfect English and uh, signed, we have hand signed uh, art prints that are signed by men who, who made their names in history who are no longer with us, just a wonderful bunch of people. Honorable, honorable men. Both. Because I was
2: wondering, why would you, as uh, a flyboy yourself, <laughs> have <laughs> the Navy perspective? But if you have Eagle Hunters integrated, it makes more sense. Yeah,
0: yeah that's correct. Yeah. And, uh, well, uh, I also got involved in the water part because I was with the Coast Guard Auxiliary for 12 years. I wound up being a flotilla commander.
2: No RAF members? Say again? Raf, R A F, the English uh, flyboys.
0: R A F, not anymore. They're all dead. Hmm. And the last, the last surviving man who won the Victoria Cross with the uh, Royal Navy, he he passed away a while ago. He was a member. Yeah, cocky little, <laughs> cocky little guy. Some years ago, he looked like Colonel Whitehead with the with the white beard and all that. You know, very proper. <laughs> and uh, oh hell, this was twenty twenty five years ago. I introduced him to some beautiful young ladies at some show we were at uh, an expedition or whatever and I said okay you owe me he says I owe you nothing they would have found me anyhow okay <laughs> whatever you say pal <laughs> that's not the truth yeah Tommy Tom Gold was his name G-O-U-L-D Tommy Gold and, uh, right. uh, he won his Victoria Cross because a German bomb hit his submarine but didn't detonate and was stuck in the wooden deck and he got the bomb, I think it was a a small anti-personnel bomb, he got the bomb onto his stomach and wiggled over to the side of the submarine and rolled it over the side.
2: Oh, I bet you have many exciting personal war history memories stored up there.
0: Those guys lived a life that we'll never see again in our lifetime. Fighter pilots who actually saw the enemy through his spinning propeller no, so they fly up there, and, and the radar says fire. So they fire, and they turn around and go home. And no, have
2: no, 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 you're wrong. Today, they sit in in a room and play computer games,
0: <laughs> uh, remotely <laughs> yeah. controlled. Yeah, uh, in, in Denver, that's where they have the, the headquarters for the drone guys. Yeah, that's true, true. So we'll never see a pilot again that has 352 kills like, like Bobby Hartman or 275 like Gunter Rall. Risking their lives every day, every time they went up. So, yeah, they had—you'll pardon my French—they had balls. They were tough guys. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't know they were doing anything extraordinary. They were just doing what they were supposed. And quite frankly, the fighter pilots I knew back in those days—they loved it. They had fun. Mm.
2: And I think we should be thankful for them, because otherwise we all would probably have German accents today <laughs> if it wasn't for these guys. Well, over
0: <laughs> in your area, yeah, but the idea that Hitler was going to invade the United States not a total baloney.
2: Oh, I've seen, I've seen plants, from, but that was before the war. No, I think it was a plant to nuke uh, Manhattan or something. Haven't you heard about that? Well, It's out now. with a, mm, I've
0: heard about that, but yeah. I'm not an expert on that. So I think we've just set a new li- uh, record for your previous uh, show. No, I, actually not,
2: but uh, we, it will be edited. So oh, well. she'll make this conversation much more tidy. Well,
0: of course.
2: Yes. Harry, thanks a lot for coming on.
0: That was my pleasure, Al. Oh,
2: my too, and uh, these depths of insight into the matter. Very appreciated. And I think our listeners too will realize that we're dealing with, with primary sources here. So, go get this book, people. So, thank you for coming on.
0: Alright, you have a great day, and one of these days I'll get up to Norway and we'll have a beer. We'll
2: take you, we'll take you on take your new work. New work. This concludes our show for today, but rest assured that we in future programs will return both to this topic as well as other aspects of the war history, and of course to other subject matters in this series called Timeline of a Breakaway Civilization that today was a part of. If you're a regular listener you may be tired of ordination requests, but remember, so long as we intentionally choose to keep productions gratis and free for all, Largesse comes with the territory. But at least you don't have to suffer ads. However, we also ought to point out that spreading our programs to new listeners is just as helpful, so if you're enjoying the forum, please both subscribe and share. And those who have donated, remember that if you log into to our website, you will get access to shows long before they are released to the public, as well as bonus stuff and other benefits. Today, Harry Cooper referred several times in our conversation to the Spanish Axis agent Don Angel Alcazar de Velasco, who fled Germany with Bormann and a few others let's listen to a brief excerpt of what he said before he died first i informed bohrmann that i had decided to end my work for the nazi cause and return to madrid and my family this is not the time to think about leaving us he said fiercely after all we have fought for over the years now we can see the chance of realizing our ambitions Our party is now the strongest in South America and the revival of the Nazi Germany is only a matter of time. It has taken us longer than planned, I know, but we shall be in a position to put Germany back on the road to triumphs such as der Fuhrer dreamt of in 1939. It seems silly for you to leave us when everything you have been working for is about to take on some meaning. But I would not be persuaded. I am glad that things are turning your way, Martin, I answered. But I have lost much of my energies. I do not feel up to taking on further work. In a word, I am tired. Bormann accepted my decision without further comment and changed the subject. I waited for my opportunity during the meal before asking my million-dollar question. What of the Führer? The question brought dead silence from all around the table. Bormann answered slowly. I don't follow. What about him? Is he still waiting? I asked. I planned to bring der Führer back into Germany at the correct psychological moment, said Bormann. That plan is now abandoned. Does that mean that Adolf Hitler is now dead? I asked. Bowman shrugged. He refused to answer me, but turned the subject quickly and pointedly. Bowman's last question during that strange meal was to ask me an out-of-character inquiry for this once publicity-hating man. He wished to know if people in Europe still talked about him. The people, yes, they are still talking about you, but you are rarely named in the press these days, I told him. That is good. "'That is good,' came his reply. I left Bormann the next morning. We parted solemnly, both expressing the wish and hope that we would meet again sometime, place, and in more happy circumstances. The last words he ever spoke to me were these. "'I promised you once that I would return to Germany, and that is still my promise.' The destiny of der Vaterland lies with the National Socialist Party and its Führer, Heil Hitler. I clambered onto my mule, and without looking back on the group of men standing near the farmhouse at the foot of the Andes, I returned to Juenta as soon as I could arrange a booking. I returned at the first opportunity to my home in Madrid. I had finished serving my Nazi masters, I had given them two decades of my life, two decades in which I had risked my life and made myself prematurely old with worry. I do not work for them now, but thousands of others are helping to keep the Nazi cause alive, and I am sure of that. However, hard the democratic powers try to delay it, the re-emergence of the Nazi creed in Europe is bound to occur. I know. I have seen the men who are working for that end. They have power, they have influence, they have the financial determination to put Germany back on top of the heap. They also have Martin Bormann. While men like him live, Nazism will never die. These quotes are excerpts from Cooper's book Escape from the Bunker that relates De Velasco's full story. We have taken on Borman in other programs and will continue in the future to hunt him down in others. Until then, thanks for listening. Your host has been Al, who together with the Borealis team will soon return with another mind blow. Be seeing you.
1: number one